I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Listen to Scoopy Radio with Brandon Robinson. Scoopy Radio. Hello, everybody. Brandon Scoopy Robinson, senior writer at Heavy.com. Here for another edition of Heavy Live with Scoop B. It's Monday. We did it a little earlier this time. Wanted to, you know, try some different things out. And we are live on Heavy on Celtics, Heavy on Lakers, and Heavy on Bulls Facebook pages, as well as live via my Twitter at Scoop B via Periscope. And we are live and direct and in effect my main man, Harlem by way of Oklahoma City, mind you. No, no, Tulsa, no. Tulsa, Harlem by way of Tulsa. You, you know what? You're right. I, we're going to yeah. talk about it in a minute. I, I yeah. visited Tulsa in Oklahoma City last summer. But we are here with Eton Thomas, uh, retired NBA vet, social activist, MSNBC commentator, and he's a writer at Basketball News. What's going on, Chief? What's going on, sir? How you feeling? And it's Monday. It's uh, the day after game. What's that? Game three, and uh, we got a lot to talk about. It's, it's been a minute. It has been a minute, man. You you was out at the um, what it was the the um, the event with their Emerald Gardner with the Gardner family um, in Harlem at uh, uh, Canaan Baptist Church. That's what we last talked, right? We talked about Carmelo. We talked about all that stuff with the Knicks and Dan Tony. Mm-hmm. Oh, don't get me started on Dan Tony. Well, we ain't going to go down that road. <laughs> What's your issue? My issue is since he quit on the Knicks, he keeps getting opportunity after opportunity, and people like Mark Jackson don't get another shot. That's my issue. <laughs> you you agree or do you disagree with what I said? I agree, but I, I, think, that, I think that the Mark Jackson thing, um, there are some – I know there are some underlying things um, that are going on deeper than basketball. Oh, of course there are. But we're talking about purely from a basketball standpoint. I mean, it's not just Mark Jackson. I mean, I can go down a whole list of coaches who I think, but his name keeps getting recycled all the time. He, he informed the Rockets that he's no longer going to be the coach there, and immediately he interviews with Philly. Philly he interviews. I'm like, why? Is, what is that? I mean, to, from, from you know, we talked before. I grew up a diehard Knicks fan, sure. and I take Knicks issues personally. 
I'm an emotional New York Knicks fan like most New Yorkers, right? So so when I saw him quit on the Knicks and blame everything on Melo, I was like the nerve of this dude. And so from that point, I was off him. Yeah, and then he got a job with the Lakers afterwards. Immediately. <laughs> then he went down. To, I mean, it's just like, you know, I just don't see opportunities for us being like that. And we'll achieve greatness. We'll achieve different milestones. When I say us, I mean black coaches. Right now we're at what, five? Five black coaches in a, in a, in a league, a progressive league of 30, 30 uh, teams? Come on now. Come on, man. I know, I know that um, if you look at the coaching search currently, I know that the Thunder uh, as well as the Rockets are interviewing uh, Ty Lue. Uh, okay. So, and right. – a name that is not discussed a ton. Mm-hmm. He's got a he went to Providence. I know you probably know David. I know for the Wizards. Wizards. Yep. We crossed we crossed briefly. Yeah. He mm-hmm. played the Nets. He was Jason Kidd's backup briefly in the preseason. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's currently an associate assistant coach with the Timberwolves. What do you know about him? Um, I mean, I was younger. That was like when I first got here with the Wizards, and he was a vet, and I think he was on his way out. So, we, you know, we talked a little bit. So I don't know a whole, whole lot about him. But, um, hey, I'd be happy for him to get a chance. If Dan Tony going to get a chance after chance, he need to be get a chance too. So that's what I think. <laughs> Dan Purcell, did you guys cross paths when he was an assistant with the Wizards or more so when you guys were vets and played in the league? We were vets. I mean, I remember when I was out there and um, working out in in L.A., um, you know, me, Jamal, Jamal McGlure, um, you know, the whole class, we was out there working out. And I remember we was out one night and Sam Cassell, you know, came and just parted wisdom and knowledge to us. You know what I mean? He just started breaking stuff down for us. And that was really I could tell then that he was going to be a coach or mm-hmm. either, either a coach or a teacher or something. Because he, you know, he didn't really even know us, but he just started rapping to us and just breaking stuff down, talking to us about stuff from the draft, what to expect when we go to these workouts, you know. And, and this is we had a we had a party, you know what I mean? Like so, we outside and everybody's chilling and stuff like that, and we breaking down different stuff about you know working out. So that's I got another respect for Sam Purcell. But yeah, he should have had a, a, a head coaching position too by now. He's been paying his dues all this time. Damn Tony, come on, man. Dunbar High School legend in Baltimore, Sam Cassell. He yeah. was assistant coach for about 11 years with the Wizards. Yeah. With uh, Doc in Los Angeles with the Clippers. Yeah. Um, I remember spending time with him as during my childhood when he was with the Nets under John Calipari. And even as a 12-year-old when I was doing mm-hmm. with the Nets, he was different. Him and Calipari would clash but have a love-hate relationship. Yeah, right. Where do you think he's a fit? I mean, I think he's a fit in a lot of different places, honestly. I mean, I think for, for one, one with the Clippers, I think it should be one or the other, either T. Lou or Sam Cassell. Um, that's not even a question. If they go outside and bring somebody else in and skip over them, that's just disrespectful. That's what I think. You know, I think so first and foremost, one of them should have that job opportunity and then kind of go from there. When you look at um, the NBA Finals, mm-hmm. Did the Lakers wet the bed last night? No, I don't think so. I mean, you know, Anthony Davis didn't have one of his best games, but I think that, you know, I'm watching it with my son. Actually, literally, I just sent a text to my son and, you know, told I, I coach his AAU team. Got a shout out, FBCG Elite, Dynamic Disciples. So I coach his AAU team, and I sent a text to him showing him, um, 
you know, how a man had 40 points and didn't take one three-pointer. Do you know what I mean? Complete mid-range game, complete, you know, going to the basket, you know, straight. Uh, and, and that's – there's a new basketball now, and everybody wants to shoot up threes, and that's not my thing. You know, I know, you know, you, you, you see it, and it really started with Golden State. Mm-hmm. That's really where that, that trend came. And it was interesting because, you know, we, we talked about Mark Jackson earlier. Um, he made a comment a while ago and said Steph Curry was ruining AAU basketball. Do you remember that? And everybody got mad at him, and it was like, you know, you dissing Steph Curry? He was like, no, this ain't about Steph Curry. This is about all the young cats that think they're Steph Curry. And now want to jack up three pointers as soon as they step into the court. And I understood completely what he meant by that. And I interviewed him for my podcast, um, the rematch, and I asked him about that. It was so we, we was just recently was talking about that. But now, I mean, I wanted to show my son. Look at how he's playing. Look at his relentlessness. Look at how he's you know putting the team on his back. How he's you know going after every rebound, going after every you know block. He's taking a hard assignment. He said, "I'm going to guard LeBron." You know what I mean? And I'm going to, you know, go on the offensive end and attack and be in attack mode. I mean, I nothing but respect for him. Jimmy Buckets, he, 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 he had a phenomenal game yesterday. He's an outlier. Uh, in a, let me start from the beginning. In a world full of three-point shooters, yes, Jimmy Butler is making Gladwell proud by being yes. an outlier, by doing it to the hard way. I agree. Three hundred percent. In your era, mm-hmm. who was your era as Jimmy Butler? Well, Richard Hamilton was the mid-range king. You know, in my area. You know, he would move. He would be. You know, he and he patterned his game after uh, Reggie Miller, and he would just be in constant movement, going across screens, and he was just hitting mid-ranges. That's what he did. That's how I could compare as far as you know mid-range. It's interesting because you know Rip studied Reggie Miller. So like with my team now, I have everybody study someone. And I tell them, you know, like, who's your draft comparison? And I have them study tapes of people, you know, and and that's the way I do. A point guard, Rick, he, he had told him he studies Chris Paul. And I wanted him to play like Chris Paul, you know. And, you know, with my son, he loves Giannis. Everybody you know, loves Giannis. He's tall, you know, thin, wants to Euro step all over the place. I was like, that's great, you know. But I, I want him to study Anthony Davis, going that inside-outside. I can't give up with big men just all the way being outside. I can't do it. He loves KD. Everybody around here loves KD. He loves KD. But I'm like, bro, I want you to block shots, get rebounds, you know, back to the basket a little bit too, and go outside. You know what I mean? I want you to do everything. So that's why I want him to study Anthony Davis. That's the that's the dude right there. Anthony Davis, this generation's Tim Duncan. Uh, it's tough because Tim Duncan is, I would say, more KG comparison. Uh, to be honest with you, because and Tim Duncan was phenomenal. Don't get me wrong. It's no slight to Tim Duncan at all. But, you know, he wasn't bringing the ball up the court, going, you know, from the three-point line, all the different, you know, versatility that he did. That's more KG. So I would say he's this generation's KG. Where do they Where do they differ? Uh, as far as KG and uh, Anthony Davis? You know, KG was a little bit more aggressive, of course. You know, he, was, he would be psyching himself out. K- KG was like, as far as the attitude, he was like Russell Westbrook. You know what I mean? Just cu- cursing in the air, yelling, carrying on. You know what I mean? And <laughs> just psyching himself. That that energy, that emotion, that would be that. You know, the comparison I would make for that. But 
as far as the game, as far as the skill set, there's a lot of comparisons with uh, similarities with uh, Anthony Davis. When you talk about Kevin Garnett um, specifically, just about junk talking and psyching himself out, was he really that crazy? And I don't mean crazy like mentally crazy, but just the level of his intensity. Was he? I've had conversations with Kevin. Kevin is cool, mm-hmm. but like, do you? It, I mean, that level of just psyching people out, cursing, yelling. When you're playing him on defense, is he just as bold? Yeah, I mean, it's different, a different mentality that he goes to, a whole different mindset. I mean, that's you know, that's how I play. It's interesting because I I had that aggressiveness that when I was playing. And, you know, it's funny because when you see people off the court, they have in their mind what they see on the court is going to be your personality. And it's not the same thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? You can't be that aggressive in real life. This is different. And that's how KG is. You talk to him off the court, he's completely different. You know, on the court, he's, you know, he's KG. <laughs> yeah, no. Anthony Davis, to me, um, is, is a, I think the fact that he played point guard. Yeah. He was younger and then, you know, came into the league as a big man. I, I was talking to someone recently who said that, you know, uh, the goal of um, uh, his former coach in New Orleans, Monty Williams, was that he wanted him to be more of a center <clears throat> and he wanted him to be Bill Russell-like, but Anthony mm-hmm. likes dribbling. Mm-hmm. When I look at Kevin Garnett early in his career, I remember there was a, a series where Chauncey Billups was hurt. Mm-hmm. He had to play some point guard in Minnesota. Yep. But I feel like as KG got older, um, he settled in, in the post more. Mm-hmm. I guess my question is, um, for you as a big man, do you think that the big man position is making a return? Or do you think that it's just going to be hybrid big men? I think it's going to be a little bit of both. I mean, you see the success that Dwight Howard has had in this postseason. Um, especially how he played against Jokic. Um, and he changed that series. I'll be honest with you. Um, he came in from the first game and his aggressive uh, nature with them. He had Jokic all frustrated, got into foul trouble quickly. And, um, you know, Jokic's game was all finesse and he's, you know, doing all this stuff, but he came in bodying him. And then, so he was trying to react to him, then he's out of his game. So mm-hmm. you can see that from the beginning. And that was Dwight Howard that did that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Now, yeah, everybody else is playing well and doing what they always do, but he was the key factor in that series. So what happens is when you have success, um, you know, then you have other teams that copycat. And so he's going to be able to bring big men back in style with the success that he's having with them with the Lakers. So even going back to Golden State, everybody started playing small ball after Golden State. After Golden State was shooting threes everywhere that everybody copied. It's a copycat league. Um, I remember when I was with the Wizards and I just interviewed uh, Coach Jordan. Um, so that'll be coming out soon. But I talked about his Princeton offense and when he was doing the dribble handoff from the top of the key with the big man. And when they were doing that a lot in New Jersey as well, and the success that they had with that group of Kenya Martin and all of them. And then you saw other people doing the dribble handoff. Yeah, that wasn't like that before. So it's a copycat league. So I say that to say, you know, all, all us, all us old dinosaur big men are all rooting for Dwight Howard to bring big men back. And you got to show love to Pete Carell, the Middle Kings as well, who you know the, the Nets definitely uh, took some of that flair. You know, Eddie Jordan as well as Michael Corn, and definitely that whole crew. That, that was my crew with the Wizards. That's that was my guys. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, when I look at um, 
you talking about Dwight Howard, a two-part question. One, do you think that when Dwight was drafted in 2004 and when he played in the NBA, he was ahead of his time as far as big men uh, and where they are now? And two, do you think he's a first ballot Hall of Famer? Uh, I do think he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. I don't even think that's a question. Um, but I, as far as being ahead of his time, um, I don't know. I mean, he was a specimen. He was at his at his height and his athleticism. It was something we haven't seen for a while. And, you know, it was – and then his – you know, he, he was a problem for a while. <laughs> but those years, the, the young Dwight, he – now people are, you know, it's people have short-term memories. So they remember his stint, his first stint in L.A. when it didn't work out with him and Kobe. Remember the stint in – Houston that didn't work out, you know, the year here with so so people forget about their young Dwight in Orlando. And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, people got short memories, but no, he was he was a problem. You are probably one of the most vocal athletes um, that there are. Um, even when I bumped into you at Kenny's party back in February, it was like everybody was flocking to you. I remember you going out. He coming in, and I just know that a lot of people respect your point of view. Um, we're currently in an election year, uh, and we are, you know, November 3rd is, is election day, and uh, you comment at Trump a lot on Twitter. I do. <laughs> My first question is this. Do you doubt the validity of him having COVID uh, and the timing of it? You know, it's interesting. I um, so I interviewed Mark Cuban, and um, for the for the rematch, and um, it's going to come out probably here in the next day or two mm-hmm. on the basketballnews.com. Just wanted to do a quick plug of that. And mm-hmm. we talked about this topic a lot. We talked about the topic of Trump, the topic of COVID, and you know, Mark Cuban's been outspoken. He's been you know talk. I, I interviewed him for my book We Matter, and all we talked about was him uh, speaking out about about Trump. The whole interview, you know, and that was a few years ago. So a lot's happened since then. So, you know, we we talked about everything about COVID. And, you know, Mark Cuban made the point that if it weren't for Trump's calling it a hoax since February, of saying that it's fake news, of saying that, you know, encouraging his base now, this is his people, right? His supporters to not take it seriously and to open up all the red states. Now, all the red states are, you know, I remember I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So, you know, that's where my mom and my, my friends are. Everybody I grew up with, my classmates, they're in Oklahoma, right? You know, red states, Texas, Oklahoma, Florida, all those. They're all opening up early in the summer. You know, remember you said he wanted everybody to open up by Easter. You know, he said the coronavirus is all going to be gone. Everybody open up by Easter. It's just a Democratic ploy to get me out of office. Like the whole coronavirus was created because the Democrats don't want him in office. Like that's how narcissistic he is. But that's what he's he did, and he encouraged that. And then you saw how many numbers have gone up, and you saw how many deaths. We're at now over 200,000. 200,000. And then... You know, it's it's even going back last week when you're looking at the baits and the timing of everything. And now, so Cuban was like, you know, if it weren't for that, how many lives would he have would would, would we have saved? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it's not just this is not just a little oops. This is a big one. 
You know, so it really even should. I, I don't understand how it's like I don't understand what his supporters are seeing in him to say they still support him after everything. And I asked, I asked Cuban, I was like, well, financially, you know, he's Mark Cuban. He's a billionaire. So from the tax breaks standpoint, it would probably be more, more beneficial for somebody in Mark Cuban's position to support Trump financially. And you could even, you know what I'm saying? Like, all right, I get that from why, why most billionaires are Republicans from a tax break standpoint, they, they it benefits them. And he said he couldn't do it, even with that. Then he started going down the list of reasons. Because at first, he was a Trump supporter and before the first election. And then he talked about, you know, you know, because he's not a Democrat, he's not a Republican, he says he's an independent. And so he said, you know, at first I was like, okay, he doesn't have any political ties to anyone. It's, you know, he says it's mine, it's going to, you know, that whole thing. And then he said, but then he started talking to him and he said he was like, this dude has no idea what he's talking about on any of these subjects. Wow. And, and so he was like, I was going down the list. He's like a little elementary level subjects on different things. He said he had no idea about any of it, like nothing. He's like, so I was like, I can't support this cat. And that's why he stopped supporting him. So we, we talked about it all in the interview. But so really what I see now with, with athletes and becoming such a threat to Trump, right. you know, and it's because of the power of athletes. One of the things that I remember that Kareem told me when I interviewed him, he said the reason why people get upset with athletes, the opposition gets upset with athletes when they speak out on something that they don't agree with is because of the power of influence that they have. That's the reason. That's the reason why it's so crucial to them, why, why it's so important to them, why they zero in on athletes. And I'm, I'm ever since he told me that, I'm paying attention. I'm like, oh, that's why. That's why it's not just that he doesn't want the athlete to speak out, or it's because they're threats to him. So much so that he, you remember when he orchestrated that whole thing with when uh, Kobe Covington when he won the UFC, um, and he said, you know, he's talking, and he's saying, you know, not like those woke athletes like LeBron that are anti-American, everything like that. Then they orchestrated the the fake call in the middle of the press conference. You know what I'm talking about? It was like poorly executed. It was like a film about a bad movie. But the reason why Trump took the time and energy to do that is because of the level of a threat that LeBron is to him. And it makes perfect sense. You know what I mean? Like perfect sense. So, you know, I, that's why I keep encouraging athletes to keep using their voices. They, he wouldn't he wouldn't take the time to try to, um, you know, denigrate him if he wasn't a threat to him. That just proves that he's 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 he, what he's doing is effective. So, do you think that for LeBron, the the goal or the the the, the plan is to just continue to promote voting, or do you see LeBron running for office one day? Um, I think LeBron can do anything that LeBron wants to do. To be honest with you, I mean he he talked about before that he wants to own a team, mm -hmm. and he said that very clearly. And said that repeated, you know, different times. And I think LeBron's the the power that he has. It, it's it's so 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 with his more than a vote. Let's just talk about that one. The more than a vote, right? So he is attacking um, something that we know is going to be a crucial issue during this very important election. Maybe the most important one of my life, 
um, as far as voter suppression. And he specifically, you know, gathered different volunteers to be able to make sure we sat there with the debates and heard Trump say and encourage his base or of militias or whatever they are to go towards the voting booth to the voting polls to intimidate voters. So we he gave the mandate during the debates. So the fact that LeBron has done to this level to make sure that everything is is happening the way it's supposed to happen, you know what I mean, democratically. And, you know, it, the, the NBA, not just LeBron, but where they're going to have polling sites for arenas now. And they're going to have all these different initiatives. That is a huge threat to Trump. All the stuff that he's doing in Florida to try to get people who were on the no voting list, not able to vote, to now be eligible to vote. Right. You know what I mean? Oh, that that is Florida is a very important state in this election. So all of these things. So so it's not it's more so than just not wanting athletes to speak. LeBron is a threat to Trump and his administration. And that's 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 powerful. So, I mean, what he's doing, you you can't help but applaud it. As the old folks would say, learn me something. You need to teach me something. Uh, <laughs> you um, play for the Wizards. Uh during Michael Jordan's comeback season, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. And I vividly remember 9-11. Mm -hmm. I vividly remember Michael um, playing at the Garden as a mm -hmm. wizard. Mm -hmm. I remember watching it on TV. I remember, uh, I just remember a lot. What was the Garden like? What was the Garden like? At that game when Michael returned. Well, I mean, you got to stand. When Michael, I mean, every game was just... You know, it, it was it was like sold out. You know, you come there outside. It was hundreds of thousands of people. You know, it, it was just complete. But that was every game, no matter where we were. We're in Utah. We're in, you know what I mean? Wherever. Like it, that that was the atmosphere with MJ. And then when they knew that it was his last season. Oh, man. Every everywhere. It was it was like traveling with Michael Jackson. You know what I mean? Or like the Beatles. Or something like that. You know those images that you see of like overseas when Michael Jackson would come to one of them places and there'd be thousands of people and you would see people like just look at him and start crying or like touch his arm and then pass out or something like that. That's what I saw with MJ. It was the craziest thing on earth. So that that's that's how every single game was, honestly. What during Michael's Wizards era of basketball? Mm -hmm. Think it's so underrated and understated that it's sickening. Oh, there's so much. I mean, I don't, I don't even know where to begin. I mean, the thing about it is, when they did the last dance, they should do a last dance just for the Wizards' years. Now, we didn't have any camera crews, at least I, you know, there's cameras all the time, but I don't know if anybody was getting footage. But there was so much stuff that happened, and that they could make into a documentary. And I mean, there's, there's, there's so much. I, mean, I, I remember. So you 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 referenced 9-11. I remember sitting at, at, after 9-11, right? I'm in the locker room. I'm literally right across from MJ. My locker was right, you know, across the way, and across the way was MJ's locker. So he's sitting there watching the TV, and it's showing these families from 9-11. And they're showing this, you know, real emotional time. It was like, you know, little kids crying. You know, it was terrible, right? And so he's sitting there looking, you know, and he do this thing where he bite his lip and he's just sitting there looking, kind of rocking. And then he called his guy in, right? He's told to call his guy to come to him. 
So the guy came over there and he said, um, he said, I want to donate my entire salary to those people. And then, you know, he said, okay, you want to um, go through a charity or organization? He was like, no, no charity, no organization. I want you to get in touch with those people in particular, and I want them to get each an equal ration of the salary and everything on top of that for the, all of them to be covered. And then he said, okay, like it will be done. And then he left, right? And then, so I'm sitting there looking at him like, wow. And he's sitting there. Like and he and he's looking at the the screen and literally his eyes are like watering, and it's stuff like that that nobody really knows about. That if they saw, they would have a different opinion of Michael Jordan. Because I always get the now I can say I have like 10, 15 different stories of things that I saw of him do like that. That I literally saw that I was there and saw with my own eyes things in the community, things in the stuff like and and I I remember one time asking him. I was like, you know, why don't you tell anybody that you're doing all this stuff? Like, why do you keep it quiet? Like, everybody, you know, and he's just, he's like, I don't do it for that reason. And that's what he said. He shook his head. And I'm thinking like, yeah, but they can't speak bad about you, man. Like, if you tell everybody this, then they have a different. But if 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 people could see it, like I saw it. So whenever, whenever I go to different things, you know, everybody knows that I've been, you know, activist and, you know, outspoken for a while. So a lot of programs bring me on and it's been happening since I was, you know, since I was my playing days. And they want me to talk bad about MJ because he's like the antithesis of the athlete activist. You know what I mean? So, and I'm like, y'all don't know. You know what I mean? Now, now was he... Um, outspoken politically and, and talking about different things no he was not but but you can't cast him as somebody who cared nothing about the community because that's not what i saw now i also say that you have to allow people room to grow and what he's done now is turn over a new leaf so i remember before the first election you know before in 08 or before president obama became president obama he organized a whole campaign for then Barack Obama, you know, and all the players, all the, everybody fundraising, he was campaigning for him, everything like that. That's not something that the old Jordan would do, but that's something that he grew into. Even now seeing his, his um, statements about black lives matter, about police brutality of different instances and cases that happen, um, different things that he's doing. I mean, there's growth. So and it, it's, it may, you know, is, is he always going to, that Republicans buy shoes too in his time in, in Chicago always going to haunt him? Yeah, it is. But people have to be able to at least acknowledge that people can grow. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean, and I think that that's significant. And even from a basketball perspective, the mentorship perspective, I feel as though Michael rubbed off a great deal on Rip Hamilton. Oh, of course. He did. Rick Hamilton looked up to him. Yeah. Um, and it, it was honestly, it's funny when you say that, though. We were such a surprise when they traded him because they worked so well together. Mm -hmm. um, and he deferred to him. But MJ wanted to have, you know, a little bit more veteran, older, you know, type of a players around him. And that's what he felt comfortable. That's when we brought in Oakley. We brought in, you know what I mean, Byron Russell and all. So, and that's just what he wanted. And, you know, it is what it is. But, it, but MJ, like, I just wish... 
I wish other people could have seen what I saw there. And that's just and that, that's just one story. That's just like one. I mean, even I mean, we ain't got to talk about MJ the whole time. But I mean, it's, there's there's so many I can tell. But it's just, you know, people have this thought of MJ and they're so confidently incorrect. You know what I mean? There's another person who people are so confident and correct about, and it's one in the Brooklyn Nets is uh, Kyrie Irving. Mm. My question to you is, uh, as a civil rights activist mm-hmm. self, would you consider him, Kyrie, the NBA's Colin Kaepernick? I like to make comparisons. You know what I mean? But I'm somebody who – so I wrote an article after the um, players went on strike. Uh, for the two games when Milwaukee Bucks didn't come out, and I and I wrote an article and for Basketball News, and they they didn't want me to have the title, but we you know the title the title that I wanted was Stephen A. Smith owes Kyrie Irving an apology. That's what I wanted it to be, right. um, and because but it's not just Stephen A. Smith; it was a lot of different people who were just lambasting him after he gave the notion that okay maybe this isn't the right time for us to go to the bubble. Maybe we need to start, you know, pressing on these things more important that's going on in society right now. And that was right after George Floyd, right after all these things that have happened. The news about Breonna Taylor came out. So, every the, the, you know, the country was in a certain, um, you know, period of racial, I don't even know what, what the right word is of where it was. You know what I mean? Like, like explosions. And there was, you know, protests and there were riots and the more police brutality. And it seemed like after George Floyd happened, you know, you had a enormous amount and i will say the most white people that i've ever seen protesting a black man being murdered by the police i will say that but at the same time you had the police then almost acting more aggressively more you know what i mean more brutality started happening after that so all that was going on and Kyrie said you know what maybe this ain't the right time for us to go into like a bubble situation and then you had the coronavirus right so, so he suggested that, and all like Stephen A. Smith was like, you know, he sounds like a fool. He, Charles Barkley, he sounds dumb. You know what I mean? All these different. I was like, really? And then after, after the players, you know, fast forward after they um, went on strike, then you see Stephen A. Smith applauding the players for going on strike. I'm like, wait a minute, Stephen A. You got to go back to your comments that you made about Kyrie Irving, about Dwight Howard, and Avery Bradley. When you call them all fools, and you know how he's all dramatic in his, you know what I mean? All first take looking at the camera, you look like a fool. You know, I'm like, bruh, like, why did you have to do all of that? You know what I'm saying? And the the thing about it is, there are if, if you want to even go back to the '68 Olympics, okay? So John Carlos and Tommy Smith went to the Olympics. They did the Black Power salute, something that I have it in my office right now. You know, uh, is submit like crystallized in time for decades and forever, right? But then you had Kareem, who decided not to go. And I interviewed him and asked him about why he decided not to go. And his reasons were, I didn't have any reason to go. You know, for at the time, I didn't think that I was being respected as a black man in this country. And I didn't, so, so I went, went back and I used that example in the article. I said, so Stephen A. Smith, would you have called Kareem foolish? Would you say he looks like a damn fool, like you said about Kyrie, all in the camera and stuff like that? I was like, no, you need to be able to address it. Everybody can make a mistake. Everybody can say, okay, I misspoke. I shouldn't have said that. But at least be man enough to acknowledge that and say that. Don't just skip over and start congratulating 
the, the players now because they're taking strike and act like we don't remember all this stuff that happened before. I mean, I called him out on it. I didn't see no apology, but, you know, Dwight Howard said he appreciated me for saying it. You know, everybody, they all hit me. So, but, you you know, I had an issue with that. You know, and there's things, Kyrie, there's things that you could be also critical of Kyrie Irving about. Now, don't know, you know, there's definitely room for criticism. But on that topic, you know, I just didn't like the way so many people in the media just just completely tried to rip him to shreds, um, you know, for suggesting that there's more going on right now in basketball. How much of the criticism for Kyrie comes from his time with the Boston Celtics? I don't know. I mean, you can say that about how many of it comes from, you know, his time with Cleveland and the issues with LeBron. I mean, you, you know, there's there's different reasons, but one thing don't have nothing to do with the other. You know what I mean? Like I, people say, oh, this is the same guy that said the earth was flat. What did that got to do with what we're talking about right now? You know what I'm saying? I'm like, I'm like, can y'all stay on topic? This is what he's talking about right now. What does it have to do with the cost of tea in China? Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> Tell me about basketball news. So basketball news is a, is a, a platform, and that they, uh, um, I'm going to be writing for them. You know, like you know, four or five articles a, a month. Um, I had the rematch already under Fly TV. Um, so I originally started the rematch with the Players Tribune. Uh, did a year with them, and you know, they they were they liked it, but it was a little bit too deep for them. To be honest with you, a little right. bit too heavy. And I, you know, I was interviewing my Udo Duraruf. I interviewed Charles Oakley after the whole thing with the brawl. It was just, you know, I'm going for it, you know. And so, um, the whole point of the rematch is to have a sit down with athletes to allow them to be able to tell their story, because a lot of times the media gets it wrong, and people think one thing, and I'm giving the athlete the chance to be able to recreate you know, either retail or anything like that, thus the name The Rematch. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they 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 didn't renew it, um, players tripping after the first year. And, you know, so I went and started with this group called Fly TV. And they were like, okay, yeah, you do your thing. Let's just start knocking them out. So I interviewed Gilbert Arenas. I interviewed, you know, I, I just went down the list and it was great. But but Players Tribune didn't want me to go that, that they wouldn't have let, they wouldn't have wanted me to interview Gilbert Arenas. There's <laughs> There's a few people who they say, well, no, we don't want to interview him. And I was like, well, if the whole point of it is to allow athletes a platform, how am I going to tell this athlete that he can't have a platform to be able to tell his story? Um, you know, I, I just didn't. So so it was all good, though. You, y'all do what y'all do. I'm going to do what I do. So then Basketball News reached out to me. And Alex Kennedy, he is um, he's the editor that I worked with when he was at Hoops Hype. Mm-hmm. So I used to write for Hoops Hype when I was still playing. And I would write articles all the time with them. And he was my editor, so we worked well. He knew how I, you know, I pushed the envelope a little bit. And I pushed the envelope in a way that, you know, now people are a little bit more comfortable doing. But then they didn't want that. You know what I'm saying? They were like, okay, you can say this, but let's take out this whole section of what you said here. I'm like, well, man, that's that's the whole point of the article. You know what I'm saying? So, but with him. He kind of let me do my thing. And, you know, so so when he called me about basketball news and he said, OK, we're starting this new site and, you know, we're going to do this and this and that. I was like, oh, OK, so who's the main editors? Because that's my first question, because I've done writing. I've worked with CNN. I've worked with MSNBC, Huffington Post. I go down the list, ESPN. And, you know, 
like I told you, I want to push the envelope with different things. And sometimes people don't want you to do that. You know, and that's that's basically what it is. They want you to, okay, you can say it, but say it kind of like this. I'm like, right. well, no, that's not what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say it the way I said it. Right. So he said, no, you do your thing. It's going to be just like, like when we were at Hoops Hype, the same kind of format. And, you know, you do your thing and I'll, you know, do some grammatical errors and stuff like that. But otherwise, it's your voice and your expression is your expression. And I was like, cool. So, you know, they they signed James Posey down there. Kenya Martin's going to bring his stuff there. You know, Vinny Del Negro is there. They have some great, great podcasts that they brought, clips, um, you know, and um, it's, 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 it's great for me because the creative freedom is more important to me than saying that I'm writing for CNN or I'm writing for ESPN, to be honest with you. You know what I mean? That, that's what's more important to me is the creative freedom. So, so far, it's a perfect match. Who is uh, your dream interview for this platform? Uh, well, I've always wanted to interview Kaepernick for a while. I mean, well, the thing about it is with my book, with We Matter, I interviewed all my heroes. You know what I mean? I interviewed Bill Russell and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Mahmoud Abdul-Aruf and Craig Hodges and John Carlos. And I, you know what I mean? I interviewed Muhammad Ali's daughter and Malcolm X's daughter. You know what I'm saying? I was like, so I, I, I've interviewed so many of my heroes. Um, but I, always, I, I wanted to sit down with Colin Kaepernick. But I like the way he's controlling his thing and he's doing it his way. And he's, you know, he's, he's going to have his book and he's going to have keeping everything tight. I got no problem with that. There's much respect to him. I interviewed Eric Reed for my book and talked to him a whole lot. So it, it was, you know, it, it it was good. But I, if I would say who I would be my my dream now to interview, be Captain. I like it. What would you ask him? I'd ask him so much. I mean, there was so much I would want to ask him. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, between the the, the backlash, between the you no know, reaching the point of was well, he surprised of Trump? And it's interesting because Trump was so dedicated to misrepresenting his message. It's so funny because so so I was on this I was on this platform this um panel. This was last summer before the pandemic of course. And it was a pa- platform of journalists in DC, right? Um I remember Kevin Blackstone was there um on on the, on the panel with me. It was, it was it was a great but it was a whole conference. So one of the topics, oh Mark Spears from the ESPN was there too. So it was it was, the topic was the relationship struggles between athletes and the media, right? That was the topic. And they were they were talking about that for a little while. And then they started talking about Kaepernick. And then they said, you know, Kaepernick didn't even want to talk to the media. And it was like, and then he criticized us for the way we um, cover him. And I said, well, wait a minute. Hold up, time out. <laughs> Kaepernick talked for 10, 15 minutes after he took a knee and explained everything. You're like, yeah, but we weren't clear on everything. I was like, no, that's not true. He specifically said, what he was taking a knee for and what he was not taking a knee for. He said, this is not about the veterans. He said, this is about police brutality. And he went through the whole thing. He said, I have family members that, is, that are veterans. He's like, it's not that I'm, that I'm anti-American. It's not, he went through the whole thing specifically of what it's about. He said it was police brutality, um, systemic racism, and the political process. Because he didn't like that we only had two options Hillary and Trump, and he didn't like both of them. He said we should have more. He was he, he laid it all out. So then, when people afterwards are like, "Well, we don't know why he's taking a knee," I'm like, "What do you mean you don't know? All you gotta do is go to the tape." <laughs> like he he said it, and that, and so my issue with that was, you know, don't buy into the narrative that Trump and the right have intentionally done 
to try to muddy the waters to confuse everything about why they're doing that right now with black lives they're like you know what is black lives matter goal what is what do you mean what is the goal or or so or they say okay so defund the police they they know the difference between the word defund and the word abolish they're not synonyms they know what one means and what the other means they understand what the people have consistently laid out the difference of you know restructuring the the what the police is um um responsible for for things that they're actually trained for and giving those funds to a different like mental health when somebody thinks they're having mental health you call the mental health people not the police they understand all that you know but they're they're purposely trying to muddy the water so that's what i see is happening you know a lot of the times but that's why it's important to have people in the media you know it's not just but because some people say well that's why we need more black um media you know people i was like no it's not just black people because you got to a lot of people like Jason Whitlock out there. You got a lot of people like, you know, that 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 are doing what they're doing, but they blacked in the mug. So it's not just black. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's it's it media, you know, Malcolm Malcolm X said a long time ago that the media is the most powerful entity in the world because they have the power to change, you know, people's minds or perspectives. Something like that, paraphrasing. But that's the absolute truth. And that's why, you know, somebody who is so critical of the media, and I've always been critical of the media. That's the whole reason why I want to create the rematch so people can kind of undo what the media has done to them personally. So that's what I'm doing. That's real. I know you got to go in a couple of minutes, um, but my, I guess my last question, mm-hmm. I don't end with sports, um, race. I feel like the way Luka Doncic is protected by certain people um, in the media, it's like he is – I guess I'm gonna say it like this. I believe that he is white. The great white hope. He's white media's LeBron James. <laughs> well, I think, I, well, the thing about it is Luca is a very likable person. He you is. Know, he, he is. So either, whether you you know think he's getting hyped a little bit too much, he's very likable and he's very talented. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like you know, it, it's you, you can't handle him as far as the skill wise because he's nice. You know, <laughs> that's what he is. Is he getting hyped a little bit more? Because he's white? Yeah, come on now. It's, it's like saying, okay, yeah, Eminem is nice, but is he getting a little bit hyped a little bit more all his whole career because he was white? He said that. You know what I mean? So it's that part you can't really deny, but it's interesting because, you know, he is a special talent. Like, literally, like, you see how he plays and what he's able to do and how young he is. James. <laughs> he ain't got to be LeBron James, but he's special. You know what I mean? He ain't got to be LeBron James special, but he's still special. He's talented. Right? So, I mean, but so is, are, is he going to be overhyped? Is he going to be overprotected at times? If he's going to, yeah, okay. I, you know, we we know that. But but he's nice. Don't get it twisted. <laughs> when you look at the Mavericks, I think you played one game for the Mavericks. Uh, yeah. I don't even play that. I was hurt the whole time. Oh, no, no. I played one preseason game. That's right. That's when I, that's when I started getting hurt. All right. You did your homework. <laughs> <laughs> when you, when you, I talked to Anton Walker about this um, recently. Okay. He said to me that he feels like Dallas is missing kind of like a goon or a bully, like an Oakley type of player or Rodman type of player. Well, that's why they're looking at um, Harold, uh, Montrose Harold. You know what I mean? That's the reason why. They know that. They know what they're missing. Mark Cuban ain't stupid. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's funny. I asked Cuban about how good Luca and, um, and my man can be. And yeah. I, I, you know, um, related to, I was like, can they be like Dirk? 
can they go Dirk level? And he was like, oh, definitely. He was like, yes, Luca is, is special. And it's interesting. This is another thing that's because when I went there, um, Dirk and Steve Nash were there. And I asked him, do you regret giving up on Steve Nash? And he said, yes, that's my biggest regret. Mm-hmm. It's like because, you know, Steve Nash had some back problems and things like that. So they didn't think that he was going to be able to last in the league. And him and Dirk were like this, like they were tight, tight, you know? Yep. So he's like, yeah, that was his biggest, biggest mistake. If he could take that back, he he would a thousand times. And I didn't know that him and Steve Nash had a little bit of bad blood for, for a while over that. Um, he told me that when I interviewed him, I was like, oh, really? That's, I didn't know that. But he said, yeah, he's like, they're cool now, mm-hmm. but you know, but now, but, but going back to Dallas, they know what they need. Even back then when it was Dirk and Steve, they needed, they needed, you know, different role players that didn't get, and even Mike Finley, Mike Finley was the glue to that team. You know what I mean? Like people forget. It's so interesting how people have such short-term memories. You know what I mean? Like, it's amazing to me. Like I was, I was talking to people about Dwight. And like we talked earlier, they just forgot about everything that happened in Orlando. You know what I mean? I was like, well, it wasn't that long ago, but that's 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 what it is. But yeah, I would look, I would, I would expect Dallas to get go after somebody like Montrose Herald, somebody that is that aggressive, you know what I mean? Not not I don't I don't want to say goon, but you know, Marquise Morris, like I, I can see them going after both of them pretty hard. Enforcer. Yeah, definitely enforcer. Yes, well, here's the good news. You're off the hot seat. I'm off the hot seat. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you be firing them away. I appreciate you, man. We ain't going to talk about the Knicks. You tell me what's up with the Knicks. So you, I, I, just last question that I want you to tell me what's going on with the Knicks and what they're about to do. Please give me something positive yeah. so I can, you know. There's interest in Chris Paul, but it, it, it all matters upon whether or not how they go about it. Specifically, you know, if they go, if they use, you know, Kevin Knox and some and, and Neil King and some of those other guys uh, that, that are on their roster. But to be truly honest with you, I think for Chris Paul, I mean, he did say last night he likes to who. I think for the Knicks in that situation, I don't think the Knicks are the best fit. The Milwaukee Bucks are the best fit for Chris Paul. I agree. I think Milwaukee would be perfect for him, to be honest. Or Denver. I like Denver for them, but I, 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 yeah, Denver would be good for them. I like Denver would be good for them, but I, I think, I think Milwaukee would be great too, though. But I think specifically to your question about the Knicks, I think that one of the mistakes that they made in 2011 is, as much as I like Carmelo Anthony, I know that that is your Syracuse guy. Mm-hmm. They gave up a they, looking retroactively on it. They gave up a lot of young talent to get him back then. Okay. And I, and I think as much as it was good to see Melo come to New York, uh, he was born in Red Hook. I think at the end of the day, if they had waited that summer, they probably could have gotten him. Um, I think that they let the Nets peer pressure get to him, even though he was never coming to the to, to play in Newark. Yep. Uh, yeah. I, I think at the end of the day, though, the Knicks need to learn from, I don't know if it's a mistake, that experience. Sometimes you got to grow young talent. Mitchell Robinson is on that team. R.J. Barrett is on that team. Um, Neil Akeem is on that team. Kevin Knox. I think that Sometimes you got to grow talent. You look at the Oklahoma City Thunder with yeah. and Kevin and all those guys. They grew over time. But you know, Oklahoma City has way more patience than New York. This is true. New York wanted to be ready yesterday, and that's and that's. But I I feel them though because it's been so long, and so it, it's like you know where we missed out on the Zion sweepstakes, missed out on the you know what I mean. And for a while, you was thinking that. Lamelo was going to come there. It doesn't look like that's going to happen now. 
I mean, it's I, I understand why Nick, Knicks fans are anxious and want something to happen. Oh, and, and talk about the KD and Kyrie, because remember, they were supposed to go to New York, according to media, but they was never really going to New York. Kyrie. You know what I'm well, they came to New York, but this went to a different borough. Yeah, but you know what I mean. <laughs> you know what I mean. Oh, but so well, I, I I saw you talking about it before, and I saw you. I wanted to get yours. This will so be the last one. Your interpretation of Kyrie Irving's statements about the coaching. I didn't didn't agree with him. Um, and I don't, I think certain people think I agree with everything he said. I don't. Yeah, Kyrie's your man, though. I understand it. You know what I mean? That's my, that's my people's butt. What I say to you, the coaching thing was a little interesting to me. Um, I think that at the end of the day, Steve Nash is the head coach of the Brooklyn Nets. And, you know, but I, but I also think that in a collective, in, in the sense of collective development, maybe that's what he meant. But at the same time, I also think that at the end of the day, Steve Nash is not coming out of retirement to play point guard. So let him coach and let you play point guard. I do also think that Kyrie knows what buttons to push to get people's attention. You think about it. It's the NBA final. You're using that time to do press. Just like Victor Oladipo was on Fed Joe's show. Discussing, you know, a myriad of topics, including he wants to be a pacer. Kyrie knew that coming on KD's show, he could push some buttons. But I I also do think um, that as it relates to – the comment about or the slight of LeBron, I don't yeah. think that was intentional. I think that was him being a creative and him unintentionally slighting LeBron just in conversation and discussing him being excited about playing with KD. I don't think that was a slight, but the Steve Nash stuff, eh, I wasn't really feeling it. I think he got to he got to be more careful with his words. I agree. You know what I mean? And so if it's not, so it, you have to know that. People are going to try to twist your words when there isn't a, a easy way for them to twist. Don't make it easy for them. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So it's, I mean, the way that both of the, I thought both of the comments, you made it too easy. You just gave them a lob. You know what I mean? Like not even a, a tough lob, like an easy like lob like that. And that's all. So I, I would just say you just got to be more careful. In the age of aggregation, leaving out is still saying. Yeah, that's true. Definitely. So I, I, but I also think. Um, I, did you see Kyle Kuzma's press conference last night when they asked him about trolling and people on the internet saying different things in his response? Sound like he didn't care, or what? What did he say? Something like that. I D G A F. He don't care. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. I don't think Kyrie gives a damn. I think there's a part of him that does. There's a part of him that doesn't, and I think the part of him that does not. Is rooted in his level of confidence as a human being, and people perceive that as being overconfident. Yeah, okay, I guess I could go with that. But I mean, but he also has to know. I mean, he he has oh, he he got in. He, and there's ways that you can make a splash without making yourself look bad. Yeah, Do you know what I mean. Like there's plenty of other things he could have said. So I, he just got to be more. He just got to be more careful with his words. Yeah. That's all. I got number of respect for him, but you got to be more careful. I think so. I think, and I think that this year, um, I think that level of of not caring is going to kind of he's going to be protected by Kevin in the same breath that Kyrie protected Kevin this year. He's going to be protected next year because they're coming for him. And I think, right. I think, I think you need strong veteran leadership. I'm hoping they resign Jamal Crawford. Um, yeah, definitely. I, I think that 
Um, at the end of the day, Steve Nash is the perfect coach. And, you know, you know, I'm told Phil Handy is uh, as well as Rod Strickland uh, are both um, interest of the Nets and their assistant coaching uh, staff. So it's going to be interesting. I think he'll be protected, but I think winning cures all. You look at Tom Brady, uh, when all that deflate stuff, deflate gate stuff happened, uh, people, certain people get amnesia because he won. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> That's the way it is. I mean, look at look at Jimmy Butler. I mean, they were saying he was a cancer. You know what I mean? Literally, like all the places, like he was a cancer. He go to Miami, does the same thing that he did there, the same intensity, the same way he pushed people, everything like that, but he's winning. And that was like all praises to Jimmy Butler. <laughs> That's the way it is. It, what ended up happening with Brett Brown in Philadelphia. Yeah, you're right. That's the way it works. Hmm? That's the way it works. Yes, sir. Brother, yes, I appreciate you. I appreciate you, man. Keep doing your thing. You keep doing your thing, and we're going to talk soon. And this is Scoopy Radio saying, you bring the coffee, and I'll bring the Dunkin'. Come on! Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamline my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.